Good morning, you guys. We have a lot to talk about today, so I'm going to dive into our passage. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, if you have your Bibles or your Ephesian books or your cell phones. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that ever, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So parents, I know what you're thinking. Do I have time to go get my kids? Um, and youth, I know what you're thinking, I'm going to check out now. Um, but I promise you, that's not going to be the case today. The message today is going to be geared toward everyone in this room. So parents, um, I hope that you will be encouraged. And youth, I have your back this morning, so it's going to be okay. So um, the section of Ephesians and the section that Pastor David Miles talked about last week regarding the relationship of husbands and wives is often referred to as the household codes of the New Testament. However, this isn't something new that Paul is inventing here. Household codes already existed under Roman rule and were based on Greco-Roman philosophy of the time. So the original audience, when they heard this letter, they would have recognized these household codes, but they would have been shocked at the adjustments that were being made. Pastors like to use this in their preaching to make sure you're paying attention. So, for example, I'm going to read to you John 3.16. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever did the most good works or gave the most money shall not perish. <laughs> ah, I see some heads shaking out there, some concerned looks, like, Sarah, that's not what that says. But this is what the early church was experiencing. They're sitting here listening to these household codes, and they're like, what? That's not what it says. And so um, as we move forward, imagine that this is the place that you are seeing the church, that they are hearing something familiar but so different. The Roman household codes were just focused on what does it mean for a man to be a boss of his own household? And how could he do this so that he could be a productive member of Roman society? He was given a manual of how to enforce his authority over his wife, his children, and his workers. But here, in Ephesians, we have God's new society. And God's new society is different. In God's new society, everyone is addressed. Not just the man, but the husband and the wives, the children and the parents, the bond servants and the masters. 
And they are called to all submit to the authority of their ultimate boss, our Heavenly Father. What this submission looks like was revolutionary. The people that were listening to this would have been challenged and encouraged as they heard it. Last week, we covered wives and husbands, and this week, it is my honor and challenge to try and cover both children and parents and bond servants and masters. So before we really dig in to this word today, will you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about the way that you have loved and cared for us, how you have given us in your word examples of how to live a better way. Lord, I pray as we dig into this passage today that you would speak through me, that this would not be anything for me. Lord, set me aside so that you can be pointed to so that your Holy Spirit can speak to the hearts of my church family today, that they would be challenged and encouraged by what they hear. In your holy name we pray, amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Right off the bat, in this first sentence, and this first line, we have differing opinions. Some scholars believe that this word here for children in the Greek, techna, is referring to only young children. Others believe that it is talking about children in general of any age. The Greek word is also used in John 12, 36, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 where it is translated as children of light. Both of these passages are referring to God's children of all ages. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why is this important, Sarah? I know, I'm going to tell you. We're getting there. So those who believe that it is referencing a young child want to say that you are only required to obey your parents until you are an adult or until you get married and move out of the home. But I have a problem here <laughs> that this is a, almost a legalistic look at these two sentences, separating them out and saying that one is until you are an adult and one honoring is lifelong, when I don't see this distinction here in the passage. Also, Paul is quoting from the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20.12 and Deuteronomy 5.16. Let's look at those passages. Exodus 20:12 Honor your father and, and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Deuteronomy 5:16 Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. What do you notice about these two passages? Neither of them are mentioning obey your parents. They only say honor your father and mother. Paul has added in 
the obey part, but he doesn't distinguish between the two as one being while you are young and one being lifelong. Furthermore, this fourth commandment would have been seen by the ancient world as a built-in safety net to care for aging parents. So I lean more towards this understanding that we are to obey our parents in the Lord as they continue to guide us with their wisdom and understanding. Because as we read in Psalm 145.4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So children are to obey your parents because you have been entrusted to them by God. And they are teaching you, not perfectly, I wanna say that clearly, we make mistakes a lot but we are teaching you. They're guiding you in the way of the Lord, how to live and how to grow in your faith. This passage, as well as the ones found in Exodus 20, 12 and Deuteronomy 5, 16, assume that your parents are followers of God and are doing their best to pass on the faith. This passage is not a blanket statement that you have to obey your parents when they are asking you to do things that are against God's laws. That is why this obedience doesn't stop when you are an adult. We are promised that if we do this, it will go well with us and we will live long in the land. The reason that I want to, ch to challenge even the adults in the room with this passage is because our kids are watching us. They are watching the choices we make what we invest our lives in, and yes, how we treat our own adult parents. They are watching us. And I think it would go well with you in the future if you would set a good example of how you want to be treated in your old age. Children of light, obey and honor your parents. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Roman society said that fathers' children were their property, and they could do whatever they wanted to them. They could even kill them with no repercussions. So if this is the standard, what Paul is saying is so countercultural to give rights and value to children in this statement was revolutionary. Fathers, in God's new society, you are not the ultimate boss. You are accountable to God, your heavenly father, to teach, instruct, train, and correct your children. And you are to do this in a way that doesn't lead them into frustration but that raises them up to be godly men and women themselves. Ladies, this is addressed specifically to fathers because it was correcting an issue of the time, but both parents are called to be spiritual leaders in their households. Look up Deuteronomy 6. You also are required to teach, instruct, train, and correct your children. 
I would love to spend more time here to just set up camp and dig in to the call, this holy call that is on parents. But because of time, we are going to have to move forward. But parents, if you are looking for help, I know that Cammie Wright, our children's ministry director, and Joe Fennessy, our youth director, would love to talk with you, to encourage you, to resource you. You do not have to do this alone. You were not meant to do this alone. Your church family is here to pray for you, encourage you, equip and support you for the ministry that you are doing in your own home. Moving on to verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as, the Lord, as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. The ESV translates this first word as bondservant. Other translations translate it as slave or servant. What the ESV, I'll get there. What the ESV is trying to do here is capture for you an understanding of what slavery looked like during this time of Roman rule. Ephesus was a slave hub, a slave trade hub. But about 30% of everyone in the Roman Empire lived as a bondservant or a slave at this time. You could become a slave by being conquered and captured. You could become a slave by not being able to pay your debts. You could become a slave by choice to escape poverty or to seek a better way of life, a better standard. Or for many, you were born into slavery. As a slave, you could work in the fields or in the mines, but you could also be a slave doctor or a slave teacher. This type of slavery is not the same as the New World race-based chattel slavery and the Atlantic slave trade with the American colonies in the 17th and 18th centuries, which led to the Civil War. That type of slavery was kidnapping, race-based, forced labor, and evil. Not that this bondservant system was great, but it was the welfare system at the time. If you were facing poverty, you could always sell yourself into slavery in order to meet your basic needs. Many slaves could further their status through learning a trade or gaining education. And many slaves were freed, either by purchasing their own freedom or given freedom. And many slaves even received Roman citizenship, depending on the family that they served. Of course, as a slave, you could face harsh conditions or abuse as well. There have been many who have used these passages in the past to validate the practice of slavery. God did not create slavery and does not endorse slavery. In 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, slave traders are put in the same category as murderers are those who would kill their own parents. 
You want to look at the Old Testament in Exodus 21, 16. Anyone who kidnaps someone for themselves or in order to sell them is deserving of death. The codes that are being put in place here and the laws of the Old Testament are put in place to protect and care for people in an imperfect world. The seeds for the revolution against slavery are being planted right here in God's word in this passage and others like it. In Galatians 3 to 28, we read, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. Those that have used this passage like this and other ones to justify slavery just come from bad theology. And so I employ you, church family, read your Bible. If you do not know the whole big God story, you will be easy prey for people who want to cherry pick verses or sections and you will be deceived. Okay, back to bond servants. Really, the closest thing we have in our society today to the bond servant master relationship is that employee boss relationship. Now I know your employer doesn't own you, even though sometimes it might feel that way. They, not here, not here, let's be clear. Pete, not here. I know he's watching. Um, I'm going to lose my place. Um, is, doesn't own you, and you can quit anytime that you want, but you are dependent on that employer for compensation so that you can survive. So, with this in mind, God's new society, we are called to work for our earthly boss as if we are working for our true heavenly boss. But what does that look like? If Jesus walked down this aisle right now with a toilet brush and said, Sarah, your job is to go clean those bathrooms, watch out, Bodwell Services. You are about to see the cleanest toilets you have ever seen. Isn't that what it means to work unto the Lord? Isn't that what it means to give it your best, to work at it with your whole heart, to do it with a glad heart? Because the master is asking. Why is this important? Because everything that we have talked about so far is our witness to this world. Your location is your vocation. Your location is your vocation. And what I mean by that is where God has placed you in this moment, that is your ministry. So don't miss it. We are to live differently so that the lives that we leave point back to God. What kind of witness do you think you have at work if you are the one who is always complaining? You're the one that can't be dependent on. You're the one who's always cutting corners or taking advantage of others. How many opportunities are you missing to reveal the love of Christ to the people around you because all you can think about is your jerk boss and how people don't appreciate you? Look at verse 8. 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Right there, we have another promise for the bondservant, the employee, that if you do good, if you work onto the Lord, you will receive back from the Lord. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty good deal. Verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Bosses in the room. You don't have to stand, don't worry, you don't have to raise your hand. Bosses in the room, you too are called to work as if you are working onto the Lord, and to see your employees as God's employees and not yours. I would have loved to have been in the room when this was first read to the early church. Remember that already what is going on with Christians is freaking everybody out in the Roman Empire. The fact that masters and slaves are coming together as equals to worship this God, it was unheard of. It didn't make any sense to them. And now you have Paul naming it right here saying, there is no partiality with him. Basically, in Sarah's translation of this passage, you are not special to God because of your status. You are not special to God because of your wealth. You are not special to God because you are on this stage. Every single one of you is special to God because you are created in his image. He wants you to live a better way. He wants us to love and follow him and love one another. Don't you want to be loved just for who you are? Not the job you have, the house you live in, or whether or not you have it all together. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God reached into our sinful world and said, I know you are broken. I know you are constantly making the wrong choices. I know the things that you are struggling with. I'm going to send my son to die for you in your place because I don't want to be separated from you anymore by your sin. Come and follow me and I will show you a better way to live. Church family, these household codes are an act of God's love and care for us. He loves us, enough to, loves us enough not only to save us from our sin and death, but to guide us into a better way to live. A new society that is marked by his love, that becomes what he has done for us, for how he continues to care for us, we would care for each other, and live out this love that has been freely given to us. 
Will you join me in prayer today? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us for who we are. You love us where we're at. We don't have to get it together. We don't have to be somebody special. That the things of this world mean nothing to you. That we all sit in here together as equals. That Christians around the world are seen as equal, equally loved, equally valued by you. Thank you that we don't have to earn your love. We don't have to earn your your grace, your salvation. That you did it in spite of our unworthiness that you love us because we are created in your image, that you want us to be whole, to be complete, to live a life that is full and blessed, that you want to guide us away from the things of this world that turn to ash, the things of this world that lead to darkness, and instead guide us in a better way that leads to love, that leads to you. Lord, I pray that as we go today, that we would choose this life, that we would choose to raise our children up in your ways, that we would teach them how to follow you, that as children, we would honor our parents, that as parents, we would raise our children up, guiding them towards you, that we would take that responsibility seriously. It is sometimes exhausting to be a parent, give us strength to continue to do the call of ministry in our homes that you have called us to. And Lord, I pray for us as we are out in this world, working in our jobs, volunteering in the areas that we're volunteering, that we would be a light to others. That when those selfish moments creep in where we feel like we're not getting what we deserve, we're not being recognized, that we would remember who it is we really work for. And that wherever we are at, we would look for those opportunities to love, to minister to others, to point people back to you. I thank you that you choose to work through us in our imperfection. Help us to follow the better way. In your holy name we pray. Amen.